Welcome to Politics and Psychology. I'm Dr. Renee Carr, and please introduce yourself in the chat or on social media. Today we are talking about how love is not love. And for this to not be a one-sided or a one-time conversation, please also give your thoughts or questions in the comments section below. So let's begin by defining love. So love is an intense bond with one person and another person, and this bond is experienced psychologically, biologically, and behaviorally. So let's get into the psychology of love. We look at the theoretical and scientific study of love from the past 60 years and across cultures, so this is a cross-cultural analysis, then we consistently see where there are three dimensions of love, and those are one, intimacy, two, compassion, and three, commitment. So intimacy sounds like what it is. It's the physical affection and sexuality of the love relationship, as well as the sharing of personal intimate feelings, fears, and behaviors. This is what makes you feel closer to the other person because they know about you, your secrets, your fears, etc. Compassion is the level of care, concern, and protection for your loved one. And commitment is the desiring of a long-term relationship with that loved one, a willingness to sacrifice for each other, cooperation, and an understanding of exclusivity with each other. So this is, okay, we're only seeing each other, we're only married to each other, and we're not having an open relationship. Now, the three dimensions are then separated into two main subcategories of love. With category one, meaning your attitudes toward your partner, and category two, your attitudes toward your relationship. And so when you look at the attitudes toward the partner, it's how much does that relationship or the individuals within that relationship exhibit compassion and affection, and then attitudes toward the relationship How much do they exhibit closeness and commitment? So when we look at the biological components, we see that love is not just an emotion or a group of behaviors. It's also biological. And this is because there are consistently two primary hormones that humans experience when they are also in love. Vasopressin is the hormone that strongly influences the vigilance or how much a person is paying attention and also that person's behaviors that they exhibit to either guard the person that they love or guard their territory. It's what triggers the desire to protect the other person. The other hormone, oxytocin, creates the emotional bond between the two person. And this is what's released in huge amounts during childbirth, and it helps the mother to bond with her child. It also causes and continues to be released through breastfeeding. But do understand that although vasopressin is the hormone often associated or labeled as a male hormone and oxytocin as a female hormone, that this is not true because these hormones, both adult males and adult females have them. The only gender difference is is that men are more sensitive to the vasopressin hormone in their bodies and females are more sensitive to the oxytocin inside their bodies. But both genders do need and use both of these hormones. For example, look at oxytocin. 
So oxytocin is responsible for the milk ejecting from the postpartum mother's breast. And oxytocin is also responsible for ejecting the sperm from the male's penis during orgasm. So it's also, in case you are a mother, but it's not your biological child, we do want to emphasize that whenever a woman adopts a newborn or a young child, her body will also produce this oxytocin in elevated levels to help create this bond emotionally. And the father will as well. So even if you don't have a birthing experience, your body will still produce the oxytocin to then create the bond. Love is also visible in our brain activity, especially when you are in the early stages of love. So think about when you were in your beginning relationships, like in a puppy love or in the relationship that you might be in now and how you had this great love. But then after you broke up, then you said, well, what in the world did I ever see in that person? Well, your brain is actually responsible for this. So we have two core brain structures, the amygdala and your frontal cortex. And these two structures are deactivated when you first fall in love. And these brain regions are linked to you having analytical thinking and also making clear judgment that's not based on emotion. So of course, when you're in love or you have this honeymoon phase, this means that because the amygdala and frontal cortex toward this person, your thoughts that you're having, because they are deactivated, then it means that you are less likely to develop negative thoughts or negative judgments and emotions against your loved one. If you ever have given birth or if you've seen a woman giving birth, um, there's like a lot of pain and it's very intense And it's so painful that you would think that I'm never going to do this again. But when you have that bond, again, the amygdala and the frontal cortex are deactivated. You also have your oxytocin, which is being kicked in for the bond so that you're like, next time you're like, oh, it was all worth it. And it's just great. And so that's why women can keep getting pregnant over and over again, despite it being such a painful experience, because one your brain um, prevents you from actually thinking of anything negative about that person that you gave birth to. But also your body is going to produce um, a reaction where you are not remembering the pain because your, your mind is also blocking off those pain memories. So now let's get into the difference biologically between love and what is not love. So there is a biological difference between love and lust and also sex. In lust, the primary hormonal regulators are testosterone and estrogen. And these increases in your hormones are what cause you to have a strong sexual desire toward a specific person or to a specific type of person. So when a sexually active female ovulates, she will have an increased desire to have sex, especially during her time of ovulation. And this is because this is when during ovulation, her estrogen levels are going to be at her highest. Now with men, when they have higher testosterone levels, you have, you know, peaks and sometimes lower levels, but this is what determines the aggressiveness in their sex drive. And this is also why when men men become older, they have less of a sex drive because their testosterone levels are decreasing. 
And it also will make it more difficult for them to both obtain and maintain an erection. But whether you are a male or a female, just like with the oxytocin and vasopressin, you are going to still have testosterone levels. And that will determine how more aggressive you are in your regular behavioral lifestyle, but it will also determine your sexual drive. So the higher your testosterone level, whether you're male or female, then the higher your sex drive is going to be. So I hope you are listening to or catching it when I say drive. And the reason why it's called a drive is because it's what strongly influences you toward a particular behavior. And so sex drive is what's driving you toward having sex. And the reason why there is a sex drive is because it's guiding you to be able to obviously have sex to then produce offspring. And then the species can, um, can continue. But the sex drive is so strong and the experience of orgasm, which causes a release of oxytocin, this is obviously the bonding hormone, but that often is what causes people to confuse sex and love. So individuals who have been sexually abused by a loved one, for example, they also often confuse sex with love because the loved one said, well, I love you. And so because I love you, then it's okay for us to have sex. And because they have this confusion about sex and love, then they become sexually promiscuous as an unhealthy way to obtain love. Now think about someone who may have a sexual fetish. Now, they also have a strong sex drive toward a particular type of person, a particular group of people, or in having sex or reaching orgasm in a specific manner. And so because they are having a particular sexual pleasurable release through sex, and that's with a particular type of person, then they associate, well, this is the kind of person that I just love, or these are the kind of things that I like to do when I'm in love with someone. But let's look at a milder level, so not sexual abuse and not having a sexual fetish, but just think about your own interest and what you are most most attracted to or have the most sexual pleasure from. So on a basic level, think of a man who might be strongly attracted to a female or women with a specific breast size, or a woman who might only find hairy men sexually attractive or tall men or a particular, you know, look in their eyes, maybe light eyes as their way that they might find them more sexually attractive. But whatever your sexual preference, when you do have a sexual pleasure response, and then that response elicits an emotional bonding response during the act of intercourse, then what you have is a sensory confusion, meaning that the senses that you're experiencing from your hormonal production are causing an internal psychological confusion so that you misinterpret pleasurable sex with love. So understand that that's how you can have a person pursuing another person so aggressively from a sex drive, wanting to have sex, saying all the right things, and that person probably even feeling as if they really do love that person at that time. But then once they have sex with that person, the drive is no longer there. The bond might have dissipated over a few days or even a few hours, and then they cannot stand that person or they may ghost them or not want to talk to them again. And that lets us know that other than 
outliers, which might be attachment issues, just looking biological standpoint, then it might be their sensory confusion of at that time, they felt like they were in love, but it was really just a sex drive. But let's understand that sex, again, is not love and lust is not love. And so neither sex nor love are the same when it comes to biological or physiological or psychological experiences. So what I want us to understand is that when we have messages, laws, or even policies that promote sex, but call it love, then this sends conflicting messages. In the case of a non-heterosexual marriage, for example, you will often hear messages saying that, well, love is love and you can love whoever you want to. But what's happening is that this is a manipulation of the word love because no one wants to deprive another person of love. So then you might vote in a particular way or advocate in a way that encourages love and everyone having the right to be loved. And everyone does have the right to be loved. But the foundational truth of the messaging for the laws or policies is based on sexual identity and not of love. And that's where the manipulation comes in. So in essence, it's having like legislation that promotes and protects sexual pleasure and sexual preferences, but not love. So looking at the homosexuality example, because an individual might have a sexual preference for his or her same sex, when there is an argument for a same sex marriage and the message is love is love, then it's really not. It's more accurately, it's I want to marry the type of person I enjoy having sexual pleasure with. And if we also examine the core thought patterns and behaviors of homosexual pride, then it's the experience of being proud of your sexual identity and not anything about love. It's based on your sexual preference and your sexual pleasure and nothing about an actual deeper bond connection that goes beyond estrogen or testosterone. Now, I do want to stop and say that just because you are a non-heterosexual person, it in no way means that you are not entitled to love and that you cannot also love a person who is of your same sex and not also love them in a romantic way. But the problem is the foundation of the arguments that you have to support a particular lifestyle for sexuality and using the words love rather than just saying what it actually is, which is I want to be able to have sex with this type of person and I'm using love as a way to then promote my goal for marriage. So if you have um, a sense of identity, of self-esteem, and you're basing it off of your sexuality, then this is also reinforced with a flag or certain colors to promote your sexual preference. So again, it's not like you're focusing on promoting love. You're focusing on promoting sexual identity. Looking at marriage again, marriage is associated with love. So when a person is proud of their non-heterosexual identity, and then attach the word marriage, the argument then becomes, well, this is who I enjoy having sex with. And if you don't let me marry her or him, then you are denying me love. 
So it manipulates the word love when it's really only, I want to have sex with who I want to have sex with, and you have to make this a legal right. In actuality, yes, you can have sex with whomever, another consenting adult, obviously, but you cannot say that your sexual preference or your sexual identity is love because it's not, it's just sex. So be honest with that. And by using more truth in the messaging or in the persuasive campaigns to try to promote a particular sexuality-based law or policy, if you give truthfulness in that information, then you allow people to make a more informed decision. I do want to reiterate that the goal of this conversation is, again, not to be for or against marriage, but it's to understand how the word love is being used to manipulate others who are hearing the message and to also gain your sympathy. But by doing this, we're receiving a conflicting or we're sending a conflicting message. By mislabeling sex as love to manipulate legislation, this deliberately confuses an individual person or even our society by playing on people's emotions and trying to gain supporters. But that manipulation is making them feel guilty over the using of words to elicit a particular emotional response within you. By deliberately replacing the words sexual preference with love, it plays on our own desires to be loved and not wanting anyone to prevent you from having it. So this will then increase your likelihood of supporting others who want you to vote for laws that use the word love on the campaign trails. But in actuality, when these love campaigns are made into law or policy, it really only protects sexual pleasure. And by understanding that calling sex love is indeed not love, we can also protect children from pedophiles who call themselves child lovers. So they're saying that they're loving children but in actuality, they're raping them and not loving them. So we would have to then make way and we would set precedents by basing laws or policies off of sexual preference. If we say it's really love, you are then creating an opportunity to be exploited by saying, well, then every sexual preference type is because they love the other person. And therefore, we should also advocate for this type of love. But by saying it's actually sexual preference or sexual pleasure, you more clearly and accurately explain what your goal is. We can also help others by not calling sex love. We can help them achieve a healthier self-esteem and healthy relationship choices because some people do confuse sex with love. Imagine a person who has low self-esteem and their only way is to use their body to give someone else sexual pleasure, and they confuse that as love. But if we're promoting love is love, and we're using these messages for you should be with whoever you want to be with sexually because you love them, then that's really hurting the individuals or the group of individuals who are confused, who may not be at their highest for self-esteem or their understanding of their bodies, and can trap them in a lifestyle or a belief system that, well, love is love and my sexual identity is whatever that it may be. 
and therefore I have to maintain or continue in this sexuality choice because now I feel as if that's my only way of being loved. I feel like this does a great disservice to all persons involved, both the heterosexual and the non-heterosexual individuals. And by blatantly calling sex, sex, or sexual pleasure, sexual pleasure, and not trying to add in the word love, then we can also help protect the non-heterosexual individuals from being exploited or even misled to believe that society does not love them and that society does not want them to have love. Imagine you're already going through a lot. You're already trying to grapple with, this is not what I enjoy sex with, or I'm choosing a sexual lifestyle because I might've had my own traumas or because of my body confidence or because I might have hormonal imbalances. And so now you're telling me that I can't have love because of that. We don't want anyone to believe that that can cause suicide and depression and also an unhealthy lifestyle choice because you feel as if, well, I have nothing else to lose because I'm not lovable and I'm not worthy of love. So take out the word love completely when you're focusing on legislation, insert the accurate description of sexual pleasure or sexual preference, and you can free up many individuals who are both experiencing it or trying to understand it and let them make their own decisions from a place that's based off of truth and not manipulation. And we can do this and helping everyone understand that by not mixing sex with love, we could encourage others to have a very healthy relationship and a healthy understanding that sex is not love and that love is not sex. And it also can help us to help others develop a healthy relationship choices and a positive self-esteem that is not based on sexual identity, but on their other great aspects and their high level of value that they can truly give to another person. And let us also remember that everyone is entitled to love and to be loved truly and in a healthy manner. But let's not use manipulative words to influence voters or the general public to believe something that is a lie. And I thank you for listening. And that does end our conversation today. And I really am grateful to everyone who's listening. I think I saw it was over 30,000 downloads since December. So I'm very grateful. And please help get the message out of truth, of science and love. And speaking of that, please also remember to continue this conversation using science and love.